All right, live for episode 16. I'm on my own today, live in Fernie, British Columbia, at my uh, my resort home on the uh, actually on the ski hill in Fernie, BC. This has been a disaster trying to get this together for you. This is take number three, so uh, you know maybe I'll get it right this time. Who knows? Let me turn that off. The uh, I couldn't go live at the regular time because of the internet problems. Uh, I then did an hour, knocked it out on uh, iMovie, which was, I thought, really good. Uh, and the app crashed, and I lost everything. So you're getting none of that. Uh, and now I'm trying again. I've got a new internet connection. I just threw my family out. I sent them to dinner. It's 5 o'clock here in Mountain Time. And uh, so we're going to try again and see how it goes. Uh, and we are live on YouTube. So... Episode 16, Martinis with Scott. We are uh, a show that tries to bring you an in-depth conversation or in-depth topic uh, to help business owners, entrepreneurs, management uh, to win at business. And as I said, we're live from Lizard Creek Lodge in uh, beautiful Fernie, BC. And if I wasn't so nervous about messing with the technology, I would give you a great view of mountains and trees. Um, ah, yes, Martinis with Scott, so we can have a drink. It's not really a martini. It's more of a glass of vodka. Fernie Distillers. We uh, we shot an episode from there a couple of shows ago, you might remember. Really good vodka. You can't buy it unless you're from here. Um, I can, uh, if you're somewhere where I'm going, I'll sneak you a bottle. Just let me know. It's pretty good stuff. Uh, please subscribe. Uh, our YouTube channel is Martinis with Scott. Uh, Spotify. Apple Podcast helps us a lot when you uh, subscribe, so please take a look at that. So today what we're going to do is we're going to look at lessons learned from CanTrust uh, Holdings, which is a public company, uh, trades in Toronto and New York. And as you know, we don't normally do current events on this show because the show is intended to you know, help coach, uh, present you with ideas that you can think about um, and use in your business, and so that's not really current event sort of stuff. But if I can use a current event to highlight an idea, then um, I'm happy to do so, or a set of ideas. And, you know, this Cantrust, Cantrust thing has really, in July, has just hit home so many of the points that we've been trying to talk about um, in, uh, in the first 15 episodes of Martinis with Scott. And since it's August 1 and a long weekend, and everybody's gone, and it's hot outside, and we just thought I'd do something uh, fun. And in any event, it's on my mind, this CanTrust, because I've been working through it for um, for our own position and our own thinking in the industry. Um, so what we're going to do today is go through the, the CanTrust saga of the last little while, and we're going to apply it to, um, to some discussion points and to some lessons and ideas that we've discussed in the last little while. So before I start... Uh, a couple of disclaimers. One is, I'm not giving you trading advice. We're not in the securities business. I'm not in the securities business. Um, don't rely on me. Go get your own advice. I'm not telling you to buy the stock or sell the stock or short it or do whatever. Um, none of that. And also, if I say that something was a fraud or 
you know, was criminal. Um, it's an allegation. It's not even my allegation. It's my observation from allegations that other people are making. Um, so I, I may not be 100% on the facts. Uh, this is not intended to be a research report on video. Um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm looking through what's been going on and drawing my own observations and relaying them to you. Double check, do with them what you will. The important part of this video is not the underlying facts, but you can see quite clearly what's going on and you can see the errors that Cantrust is making in dealing with a crisis and dealing with a turnaround. And it hammers home the points that I want to hammer home, <clears throat> regardless of whether we're 100% accurate on the facts or not, or the allegations. And the points I want to hammer home are, you know, we've talked about this in prior shows, uh, with Olga, we've done a few episodes on how to refinance a troubled company. We talked about this last week with David Cohen, a national partner at Gallings WLG, when we were talking about how to manage your bank in times of trouble. And managing your bank, very similar to managing any other stakeholder of a company when you're in trouble or in crisis. So the first three things, or the three things that I want to talk about and continually come back to during this would be... Um, uh, admit that you're in trouble, okay? And this is understanding the difficulty that you're in and and admitting it to yourself, having that mental shift from, oh, um, I got to ride this out. I can be rehabilitated. I just need to ride out this storm and everything is going to be okay to, oh, crap, if I don't make real changes today, not plan for in the future, but real changes today, I'm done. Like I'm dead. So this is you know, think of like an addict. This is, I can handle my drugs uh, versus I need help today or I'm going to die. It's a shift into admitting, I just call it admitting your trouble, but hopefully that gives you some idea of what the um, the drastic difference is there. And it's, it's an internal thing. If you don't believe it yourself, then you can't get uh, stakeholders to believe it. And if you can't get stakeholders who see that you're in trouble, if you can't get them to, to understand that you believe it as well and you're going to act accordingly, it's not going to work. There is not going to be a turnaround. So that's number one, admit you're in trouble. Number two, make changes. And I always express this as getting rid of the, the people who are at fault. Um, it doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. It doesn't matter if they're really a fault. It doesn't matter if they were sort of a fault, at fault, or if they, you know, the, the people, uh, the individuals, the executives of the company, you know, were, were, knee-deep in the problems that exist or whether they're just peripheral and, and complicit. It doesn't matter. What matters is convincing external stakeholders like your bank or, in this case, your shareholders uh, and regulators, you need to convince them that you understand the problem exists and you're making change and, and you're bringing in people that are not part of the old problem and that don't have the emotional baggage of the prior decisions that were made. And you're just gonna see that in spades on this can't trust issue. Um, and the point number three I wanna come back to is make change, have a plan, right? Uh, we already talked about make change, sorry, have a plan. <coughs> um, and this is not a plan to have a plan, but have a turnaround plan. Like have it immediately when you get out and you start talking to stakeholders and you say, hey, we're in real trouble. Here's the changes that we made. We got, you know, we identified these, these four positions and we're changing the people in them. We've brought in uh, new executives that are not tied to the problems of the past. And here is their plan. Here's the things that we're gonna do. And it's not 100%, um, it's a directional 
uh, plan as opposed to a specific plan. And you need to be honest and you need to be forthright. And you need to continue to do that throughout the process because the plan's not going to work, right? No plan works. You just kind of set a direction. You try and go, and when things go wrong, just be open and honest. Things went wrong, but here's what we did. It's two steps forward, one step back. And that's what stakeholders are looking for. No one's unreasonable. No one's ever unreasonable, right? What's unreasonable is you as a management team and as an ownership group in a private company, for example, or in the case of Cantrust, of a board of directors and a management team, um, what's unreasonable is lying to your stakeholders, spinning things off, and not understanding the real trouble. That's not going to go well. And it has not gone well for Cantrust, which is why I think it's an excellent example. All right. So what we're going to do today is I'm going to give you a briefing on Cantrust. Cantrust and it's just a, a super simple brief overview of the company. This is not intended, to, as I said, to be a video uh, research report. If you know the company um, already, this is just going to be a refresher. If you don't know the company, I'm just giving you enough information to kind of set the table so you know what we're talking about. And again, the company doesn't matter. The facts of this don't matter. What matters is the lessons that we can draw from, from what I'm about to tell you because I think you know, they're really important and they apply in so many situations. Um, so we're just going to do an overview of what CanTrust is really quickly, and then we're going to get into some of the details of what's going on with CanTrust in June and July, and July specifically, where this company lost $600 billion of value um, in this 30, 45, 60-day period, no longer than that. <laughs> um, so we're going to go through the detail, and when we go through the detail, we're going to circle back to our three points, the admit you're in trouble, like understand the trouble, acknowledge it, Believe it in your heart. Convince stakeholders that you know what's going on. Um, <clears throat> having a plan, right? Making changes and having a plan would be your your three points. So we're gonna come back to those as we go through, and and we're gonna learn from this can trust situation where they they failed at every step of the way, and what that means for the future of this company, um, in my view. And then we'll talk about a few summary points at the end of that. So let's go through just with our super brief. Um, Introduction to CanTrust, <clears throat> founded in 2013 by uh, uh, a group of pharmacists, uh, 19th uh, license issued by Health Canada. That means you're federally federally um, licensed, legal in Canada to grow cannabis and to sell cannabis in the second instance. Um, and it was early on one of the uh, the LPs that were licensed to do this. Primary asset of the company is a 450,000 square foot uh, greenhouse located in Pelham, Ontario, which is in the Niagara Falls region. Um, if you're from the U.S., I'm not sure about Ontario, but you know where Niagara Falls, New York is, so you're not talking too many miles from uh, from that location. Uh, but a beautiful growing area. It's where um, Ontario's wine country is, uh, Ontario, Canada's wine country is. For 450,000 square feet, they estimate uh, or they um, – uh, they indicated in 2019 they would produce 50,000 kilograms of uh, cannabis. Don't forget that greenhouses, you can get a number of grows per year, maybe five. Don't hold me to that. Um, they planned on growing, uh, uh, building phase three of this greenhouse, another 390,000 odd square feet. Um, they have some manufacturing capability in Toronto, in Vaughan, Ontario. I assume that's processing. I'm not sure. Um, doesn't matter, but I think it's where they process 
they bought 81 acres of land in British Columbia, which is where I am right now. So on the west side of the uh, continent, um, this is outdoor growing. They are not permitted to grow, so they're not growing, but they've bought the land, they've put in the security, and they're waiting on their permits uh, from Health Canada uh, to start on that. And they have some other assets being uh, some joint venture uh, partners for retail sales. They have 70-odd thousand uh, medical patients uh, registered for use in Canada, which is a valuable asset. Um, and they have some international partners through JFEs. I'm not really counting any of that because none of that's worth anything if you don't have supply. If you can't supply cannabis to those JVs and to those patients, you know, it doesn't really matter. So for our arguments, like for what, what we're talking about today, the only real asset that matters and has any value potentially is this 450,000 square foot uh, greenhouse facility um, in Niagara region. What else can I tell you? They've been trading on the Toronto Stock Exchange on the big board since March uh, 2018. Uh, so that happened in March 2018. In October 2018, they hired a new CEO by the name of uh, Paul Aceto, and they got him out of, and he's a player in this thing. So hold on to that name, Paul Aceto. So he came out of uh, uh, ING Bank, Tangerine. He was a CEO there. He had a career, oddly enough, in uh, risk management and compliance. So You'll see why that seems strange. Um, listed on the New York Stock Exchange in uh, February 2019. A lot of people in Canada will tell you as a public company that when you cross-list into the U.S., you open yourself up to all sorts of U.S.-oriented um, um, evil litigation kind of things dead on for Cantrust. You'll see the class action uh, suits that have come out of this um, probably wouldn't have happened. Um, if they weren't listed in the U.S., not to say that they're undeserved, by the way. They're, I, they may be fully deserved. They probably are, but they wouldn't have happened if they weren't cross-listed. Um, so that was February 2019, not so long ago, a few months ago. They bought the land in British Columbia for the uh, harvesting uh, outdoor growth in, in March 2019. May 6, 2019, that specific date. They, they closed $170 million equity placement, $170 million U.S. dollars, I believe it was U.S., at U.S. five fifty dollars per share. Call it CAD, seven bucks. I don't know what the FX was then, but let's say $7. Uh, Canadian, $170 million just last May, May 6, 2019. Revenue uh, trailing 12 months at March 31 was about $50 million CAD. Uh, lost over $12 million, uh, same time period. Not unusual. I just saw recently that uh, recently, like half an hour ago, that uh, Freya announced a profitable uh, quarter, and that's the first cannabis company in the history of Canada to be profitable. Um, and and lots of cash, liquidity is fine in the normal course. And hold on to that thought because we'll come back to it. So the takeaway for me of this sort of really brief overview of CanTrust to initiate us all and get us on the same page. Takeaway for me is that the only asset that matters is the 450,000 square foot greenhouse. All this other distribution, retail, brands, partnerships, you don't have supply, there's nothing there, right? All your intentions to build, I want to expand into phase three, I want to have my, my outdoor, um, that doesn't matter, right? Again, if you're, if you're shut down, um, if you have regulatory problems, none of that matters. And the second point that's relevant to me is in, in this overview 
is that 100% of CanTrust business is regulated by Health Canada. If you don't have a license and a permit for all of your business, you don't have any business. And I want you to hold on to that thought as well. Okay, there's the overview. Now, to set the table on the problems that they've uh, had, I'm going to talk to you about a, a Mackey uh, Capital Research Report dated July uh, 15, 2019. And this is sort of cutting to the chase of the problems of, of CanTrust uh, during June and July. Um, and I like this from Mackey uh, for a couple of reasons. One is it's well expressed. I don't agree with 100% of it, but it's well expressed. Uh, Mackey Capital is an old school sort of small cap, mid cap um, investment dealer, investment bank in Toronto with a decent research group. Uh, they've been around forever or their predecessor firms have been around forever. They probably know the CanTrust people. Um, so they're, you know, it's different from Citibank, who we'll talk about later. It's different from them issuing the research report. The people at Citibank don't know the company. You know, they read stuff and they do their own research. But the people at Mackey probably know the individuals at the company personally. They've probably been out for drinks with them, and they know them. So I, I, put, some, uh, I put some stock, if you forgive the pun, on that. This is the July 15 rating change report. And again, I'm just saying this to introduce the trouble and set the stage. Title of the report is Terminating Coverage. Terminating our coverage. Can't trust management. I like that little pun because it's a can trust and the title of this is can't trust uh, management. On July 8th, on July 8th, Canada, excuse me, can trust received a compliance report from Health Canada notifying the company that its greenhouse, this is the 450,000 square foot greenhouse, is non-compliant with certain regulations. Specifically, they were growing illegal cannabis in unlicensed rooms from October 2018 to March 2019. Uh, and during that time, CanTrust had pending applications with Health, Can Health Canada to make those rooms licensed. So they 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 had rooms in the 450,000 450,000 square foot greenhouse that were not licensed. They had applications to make them licensed. So this is typical. The most normal thing in the world in the greenhouse space, you know, you, in the cannabis, you got this area is uh, licensed and then you do your CapEx to put the security in or whatever on this, on this area and your, your mold prevention or whatever you're installing. Uh, so that's all pretty normal. And then you go and get, you know, your license sort of put to those square footage. Um, so, they had their application in for that square footage, but they were growing anyways. Um, and so as a result of this, Mackey came to the conclusion that there's a bunch of reasons they don't want to cover this company anymore. And the first one is they feel that Health Canada must come down hard on this company if it wants, if the regulator, Health Canada, wants to maintain any credibility. They must make an example out of CanTrust. Now, I don't really believe that point. Um, and we'll come back to that towards the end of this. But their view is, is can't trust will be made an example of. Um, number two, they've lost trust and credibility and uh, belief in management. And they also have concerns about the financial statements and the financial reporting as well as they should. I don't see how there's any win on this for can trust. You're growing illegal cannabis. Um, and they did a re and so that happened until March 2019, and then they released uh, their quarterly report in May, uh, May 14, 2019, and that was their Q1. So the question is, did you record as inventory 
the illegal cannabis? Um, or did you ignore the illegal inventory and all the costs associated with that? There's no right answer to this. Is it just a trick question for an accountant? Um, all of it's bad. Um, and so uh, Mackie's pointing out that the uh, that they don't trust the accounting information properly. So um, they point out that Cantrus already sold some of this pot uh, that was grown illegally, right? They sold it in Ontario. They sold it in Alberta, which are provinces of Canada. They sold it in Denmark through a JV. And all of that has been identified. It's been quarantined. And the bottom line is, um, is Cantrust is not able to sell right now and won't be selling any cannabis in the near future. Um, and, and the BC property, this was their last point, their BC property, the outdoor property that the 81 acres that they bought is, is waiting for a permit from Health Canada. And they point out that Health Canada is not going to be issuing that permit anytime soon, given everything that's gone on in the illegal activities um, in the greenhouse in, in Niagara region. Okay. So that sort of sets the, the, the tone of the problems that exist at Cantrust. So let's go through the timelines in June and July. I'm just going to hit some of the highlights here and talk about our points. Our points being, um, uh, admit you're in trouble, understand what the trouble is, believe it and convince stakeholders that you're serious about this, change the people. Get rid of the emotional baggage. Get rid of just just get a clean slate on this and have a plan, right? Don't don't dally. Have a plan and and move into action. So we're going to go through the timeline on this and we'll discuss those points um, as we go along. So in June, beginning of June, say June 1, 2018, uh, 2019, uh, CanTrust had uh, 72,000 72, medical patients. Registered and active. So these are uh, patients, medical people that have a prescription, are registered with CanTrust, um, and who, for whatever reason, are using a cannabis product to deal with other, whatever ailment they have. Uh, they're registered with CanTrust. They buy CanTrust products, um, and there's 72,000 of them, which is not a bad number in, a, in the Canadian marketplace. At a share price of $7 and a market cap of about a billion CAD. Okay, a billion dollar market cap, June 1, 141.2 odd million shares outstanding. All right, June 14, um, this is not public information, June 14, but it happens June 14. Uh, a former employee who is disgruntled, the guy's name is Nick Lalonde, um, sends an email to Health Canada and he says that he worked at the company for two years. Don't hold me to the specific facts, but in that range, um, and he was instructed by senior management to erect a, a fake wall or a series of fake walls to obstruct obstruct the unlicensed plants that were growing so that in the pictures that were sent to Health Canada as part of the normal compliance review, they couldn't see the unlicensed plants. And he also says that Health Canada, or he tells the press later, that Health Canada would have never known this if he hadn't been a whistleblower on the issue. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole data about a debate about who's a whistleblower and who's, you know, part of the criminal activity and is just snitching out his partners on this. Um, he seems to be covered as a, a whistleblower. He self-admits he's the guy that built the walls to, to hide this um, illegal growth. Um, so I, I, I don't think he's as squeaky clean as he makes himself out to be, but it's sort of irrelevant to the story, but an interesting topic for another day. 
So that was June. This email happens June 14th. The news doesn't come out until much later, but just keep that in mind, June 14th. So June 19th, uh, the company establishes its U.S. operations by buying uh, or buying into a uh, hemp deal of 3,000 acres in California. Um, and so basically, that's what goes on in June. It's normal course business. Um, we don't know about the email from uh, uh, the quote-unquote whistleblower and things are ticking along. July 3, um, Cat Trust provides an update on outdoor cultivation. This is the BC property. They got the land. They don't have the permit. And what the update says is, we told you before we were going to have 75,000 kilograms of product coming out in 2019, but we don't have our permit yet. And if we don't plant crops by August 5, we're going to have nothing, like zero, in 2019. Now, I've given you the background of the problem. I've explained the, the illegal grow. Um, and I've explained that a whistleblower sent an email to Health Canada three weeks before that. So, Cantrust knows there's an audit going on. They know, and I'll give you some details on this in a minute, but they know that this problem exists. Why are they expecting a permit? Like, it makes no sense that Health Canada would actually issue this permit. Do you think they're going to get it? Do you think they're going to get a permit for right now? They'll be, oh, okay, sorry, that, that thing in Niagara, yeah, that was illegal. And those people are bad people. Like the you executive team that did that are bad. But this is a different issue over here in BC. We're just happy to give you a permit on that. That's not going to happen, right? It's not a thing. They're not going to get that permit. We all know they're not going to get that permit if we just think about it reasonably. So yet they issue this press release and they say, if we don't get it and we don't plant by August 5, we're not going to have anything without any mention of any of this illegal activity at this point. Um, July 8th. So that was July 3. They come up with the update. July 8th, just five days later, they issue the results of an audit report from Health Canada. Now, Health Canada doesn't issue audit reports in a day, right? They're not on the spot doing an audit and say, oh, by the way, here's your report. We found illegal growth. That didn't happen. They've got an audit going on at the time of the July 3 report on BC or long before that, and they already know they're in trouble, which makes that press release, in my view, misleading. They come out with a release and it says Health Canada has observed, this is the primary regulator, that there was uh, five unlicensed rooms and they were growing uh, illegal cannabis in these unlicensed rooms, and they lied to the regulator about it. Regulator about it. That's effectively what the press release says. And it says it took place, the illegal, illegal growing, the unlicensed growing took place from October 2018 to March 2019. And then it goes on to say, this just is sort of comes back to our one of our first examples of one of the points I want to hammer home, is it says our facilities remain fully licensed, and they continue to grow, and that they pass, our cannabis passes all quality checks. Now, let's think about that for a minute, quality checks. The purpose of the regulatory regime, I believe, is to ensure primarily that good quality cannabis is being consumed by medical patients and other users, you know, coming out of the end of the compliance uh, system. Right, so you've got licensed uh, growers, licensed processors, licensed marketers. You can go, you know, from front to back, and you can say, "I know where this 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 came from," 
and it's clean and it's licensed and we've disclosed the THC or the CBD, whatever we, we you know, we've done all that. Um, and, and we have good quality product, right? We pass the safety checks. <clears throat> that is the output, probably the primary output of the, of the regulatory regime. But if you were to list the things that are really important to Health Canada, the regulator, you know, the output of quality is going to be here. But the number one thing way up here is not going to be that. The number one thing way up there is going to be respecting and being in compliance with the system that's in place. Because as a user of a regulatory regime, if you start violating the system, if you lie, if you defraud, if you create false walls, if you like to trick them, that's a much bigger deal because it blows away the entire integrity of the system that was set up to begin with, right? It doesn't just mess with the output. It's the integrity of the entire regulatory regime. Regulators, that's their number one hotspot, right? So here you've got a company that's done precisely that. And what is their response? Their response is, don't worry about it. We're fully licensed and the quality of our product passes all safety tests. We got no issues that way. They're in denial. They're not admitting that they're in trouble. They don't understand what the issue is. And 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 they've just missed the boat entirely on this. Okay, so that's, again, back to July 8th. Then they make it worse in the very same release. They say, we made some changes, right? Uh, we made some errors in judgment. And... Um, and uh, we're going to we're going to make some changes, which are going to be we're going to have uh, more employee training, further comprehensive employee training. Uh, we're going to change our systems and processes. We've hired an external advisor to teach us that uh, growing drugs illegally is bad. Um, and uh, and all of this was an error judgment, and we can change it with systems. Do you believe any of that? Does that make any sense to you? If someone knows that they have an application. I mean, the entire system in Canada is to build all your security, have your real estate, build your security, have the plan, make a submission to Health Canada, get it, right? That's what it's all about. You get audited a bunch of times throughout there. That's the deal. And what these guys did is they made their submission and started growing illegally while they waited for their approval, right? Is that an internal control problem? Is that a training problem? Like, do we really need to train people to tell them not to break the law on that? No one believes that. So in terms of understanding your problem, um, admitting that you're in trouble, this is what I'm talking about. And this is specifically what CanTrust has failed to do. All right, July 8th, let's continue on. Let's move on to July 10. Class action suit out of the U.S., uh, glancy somebody and somebody. Uh, anyways, this company can trust has had three class action suits in July filed against it in July, in July, in one month, three class action suits. You know how many press releases I've seen on that from can trust. That's right. Zero, nothing. They haven't told us that. Now, I don't know what a material fact is for security purposes that requires release on a class action suit, mostly because I don't know class action suits. I thank God I've never been involved in one. Um, I don't know how that goes. Maybe you file one and there's a statement of claim and they need to find a lead plaintiff and yet it be, yet it be like, I, when do you disclose that? I'm not sure. 
But if you want to convince your external stakeholders that you're taking this seriously, you release that information gratuitously, even if you're not allowed to. Sorry, even if you're not obliged to. Um, obviously, if you're not allowed to, then you don't do it. But you would be allowed in this case. And if you're if you're obliged to, you should. And if you're not obliged to, you do it anyways, because you're building trust and credibility, and you're convincing your stakeholders that that you know there's a problem, right? And so. No press release. Three class action suits in July. No press release. By the way, I was so like not understanding about this. I actually went to the lawyer's website and I pulled out the statement of claim and I read it. It's basically everything I'm telling you today, even more. And of course, it's better worded. Um, it, it's depressing. If you're long this stock, go read those class action suits. It's not good. All right. So that was July 10. July 11, the very next day, CanTrust puts a voluntary hold on all sales says we're just stopping we're not selling to anybody uh there's bigger issues here they don't really tell us what it is but they stop servicing those 70,000 odd medical patients who need this cannabis for whatever they have a prescription for do you think they're going to stick around or you think they might go somewhere else to get that filled right i mean there's one of the assets of the company that's just going away every single day and revenue has stopped right they're not selling there's no more cash flow there's no more revenue coming out of that they also tell us they, full, they formed an independent committee um, and hired a law firm, uh, McCarthy Tetro. Actually, they didn't tell us that, sorry, on, on, uh, on the 11th. Um, but they did tell us they formed the independent committee. And on that independent committee, um, they don't really talk about it, but I can tell you how many outsiders are on that committee? How many experts have they brought in to deal with this? The answer is zero. Nobody. Independent means in, in this context, for them, it means you know the, they're board members who weren't part of management. So the independent board members have formed the independent committee, and their mandate is what? Investigation. We're going to investigate what happened and how we did this grow of illegal uh, uh, cannabis. To which I say, who cares? Right. If you're a stakeholder, if I'm a shareholder of this company, what do I care about an investigation? Know that. Let me ask you a question. If you're hiring the top law firm in the country, one of the top law firms in the country, what do we call those in Canada? The the five sisters, six sisters. The the lawyers will correct me on that. Uh, but one of the one of the top law firms in the country. Does that speak to you about a company that wants to turn around, make good? And, and be a success? Or does it talk to you about directors covering their ass? Think about it. To me, to me, this doesn't sound like a good sign at that point. July 24, class action number three. So July 22 was the interim update that said nothing. July 24, class action number three. July 25, we terminate the CEO, Peter uh, Aceto. So this is the guy, recall, he was hired October 2018, and the trouble started, um, well, not to foreshadow this, but it turns out the trouble started immediately. In a second, we'll talk about evidence from November 2018 that this Peter Aceto fellow knew of the, um, according to the evidence, his position throughout all of this is, hey, directors are directors, management is management. I got bad information from management. There's one serious asset. 
450,000 square feet. That's about an hour and a half drive from Toronto. It's got fake walls that are like tarps. All you had to do was tour, right? Take a tour, walk around, stick your little finger on the fake wall. You're going to see something's wrong. So you're either complicit or you're ignorant or negligent in your job. My personal view, if all of these facts are as I say they are. And so this is the guy that takes over the reins as interim CEO. Let's say that I'm wrong. Let's say that uh, this Markovitz fellow is the greatest guy on the face of the earth and he's God's gift to turnarounds. Let's just say he is. Maybe he is. I don't, I don't know him, by the way. I, I'm, um, he's worked before at, at K2. He's worked at uh, Coleman, the um, camping people. Um, maybe he's great at this job. I'm not. Let's just take that for granted. They still shouldn't select him. He was there on the board. Get a third party. What is the value added in having a guy who's related to this? Admit you're in trouble. Make changes. Convince your stakeholders you're taking this seriously and have a plan. Right? Didn't do that at all. All right. That was July 25th. I did that. Also on July 25th, uh, they convinced the chairman, this uh, Eric Paul fellow, to resign. I think the only way to do that is to have a bunch of shareholders tell him he's going to vote him out anyways. Um, and it's just going to be embarrassing. Um, I don't know if that's true. I'm just making that up. But it seems to be the the way that you might get rid of a chairman. You can't force him to resign. Um, so that's probably the issue, some sort of threat there. And, um, and why would uh, they do that? One wonders. Well, that was on July 25th. On July 29, news breaks, I think, in the Globe and Mail that the chairman, Eric Paul, who we're talking about, and yet another director, Mark Litwin, um, on those November 16, 2018. Now, what happened November 16, 2018? This is the day that there was an internal email within CanTrust that said, hey, we're growing, we're growing cannabis illegally. And it's the day uh, or the response that uh, uh, Aceto, the CEO at the time, said, hey, carry on. It's all good. That's not a direct quote, but that's the essence of this. So bottom line is that that Eric Paul and Litwin either learn of the illegal grow on November 16, or they learn that other people learned of the, the grow on November 16, whereas they already knew about it beforehand. But either way, their response is they sell a million dollars worth of shares on that day. And I'm going to assume the liquidity limited them uh, to the day's trade because they sold another, or somebody, one of them, sold another, I think it was uh, Eric Paul, sold another $5 million worth of stock over the next 30 days, all in the 7 to $9 range. Okay, stock today is around 3 bucks, maybe less than 3 bucks. They hear the news, they start selling right away. Maybe that's the reason they asked this fellow to resign. Okay, that was July 29, that news comes out. July 31, company announces they hired a... A uh, investment banker at Green Hill and Co. to do the old explore strategic alternatives, which we all know is cold code for a sale. Admit you're in trouble. Make changes in your executive and the people responsible, and have a plan. If you had a plan, would you hire an investment banker to explore strategic alternatives? And if you're trying to convince your third-party stakeholders of your outside stakeholders of your turnaround and your credibility. Why would you look to sell the company 
when all of your regulatory licenses are in jeopardy. You have three class action suits against you from the U.S., which have not been disclosed as near as I can tell. Again, maybe I can't find them, but uh, that being the case, right? So you got you've got the class action suits. You've got the uh, the regulatory issue. You've stopped selling. You put a voluntary hold, voluntary as in talked into it, hold on all your product sales, and you have all your co counterparty lawsuits that just have to be coming down the pipe, don't they? Don't they? Like if you entice somebody uh, to be a JV in whatever country, and your share value is part of that, isn't that isn't that going to be uh, a lawsuit? Right? Everybody that you've issued options to, aren't they going to sue you? I mean, this is just a mess. So is somebody going to buy that company? Not very likely. I mean, anything's possible, but I mean, with pretty strong possibility, that's not going to happen. So what could happen? Maybe they're going to sell off assets. Would that benefit shareholders today of CanTrust? No. All it would do is bring some cash and other contingencies um, into the till to spend on legal fees and other professionals to deal with the crap that's coming down the pipe. So that's July 31. Also on July 31, our new turnaround uh, guru here, Mr. Markovich, who I remind you was a director at the time that this all went down, does an interview on Bloomberg, uh, Bloomberg uh, in Canada, BNN, Bloomberg, whatever they're called, which was the least persuasive turnaround showing I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it just blew me away. Um, this guy was so weak, his body language was... Um, deer in a headlight. And again, I don't, I don't want to pick on this Markovich, uh, Mr. Markovich, uh, as, as a person. I mean, maybe he's a great executive. I'm not, absolutely not trying to pick on him. Maybe he's in a tough situation. He should not have taken this job. Cantrust should not have given him this job, and he shouldn't have taken it. He's part of the problem. He needed to step back and wash his hands um, of the whole deal and let somebody without the baggage and conflict come in. My opinion. Um, anyways, he's there. He's a, he's a, as I said, his body language is a deer in the headlight, in my view. And he's worked, as I said, in K2 and sporting products in uh, Coleman, the camping gear. He literally says, literally, he says he's dealt with trouble like troubles like uh, Cantrust has in, uh, in other companies. Um, for example, seasonality. Understand your your trouble. Admit you're in trouble. You've got prospective violations, prospectus violations. You've got financial statements that are likely false. Uh, you've been lying to regulators. You have no revenue. You've been like, on and on and on. Is that the same as a seasonality business? Like the same set of issues? Come on. Come on. <clears throat> he literally said that they formed an independent committee, and he Googled. He Googled what independent committees do, and he found a great article on Harvard Law. Full disclosure, I'd probably do the same, right? I'd have my highfalutin lawyers. They'd tell me what to do. I'd have a checklist, and maybe I'd do some research on the internet, see if I'm getting good advice, or maybe i get some other ideas, right? I'm not going to go on, on Bloomberg and tell my stakeholders that we're all good because I Googled this. I mean, what kind of persuasion is that? I, I just, I just, it just blows me away. All right. He says, and this is a quote, we've been nothing but transparent with what we've done to Health Canada and the OSC. I've given you the set of facts. Does that sound transparent to you? Does that sound like a fellow who's admitting that he's in trouble and understands what's going on? He says, and I quote, 
We're a great company, but unfortunately, we have found ourselves in this situation. Really? You found yourself growing illegal cannabis in an unlicensed facility and lying to regulars about it? Does that sound like a guy who's admitted you know, the wrongdoing of this company and is prepared to fix it? This just goes on and on. Um, he talks about the board not getting good information from management. I already talked about board responsibility on this. Um, or scenario planning. What else? He says, we're a wake-up call for the industry. Can't trust is a wake-up call for the industry. Like everybody else is doing illegal stuff? Like, what do you mean by that? Um, and at the end, here's the most uh, one of the most interesting things is everybody thinks this company has a lot of cash, which they do, and that it's going to be fine. And they're going to come out of this, and things are going to be great. You don't know. Unless you've been through this, you don't know how much cash you burned during this. Plus, you cut off all your revenue. Lawsuits are going to come out of the woodwork. You're not going to cut your overhead because you think you're going to be fine. He said at the end of this interview, without addressing this issue at all, he said, and we're, we're being very diligent about cutting our costs and managing expenses. Why do you think they're doing that? Do you think it's because they have lots of cash or do you think they're worried about it, but they haven't told investors yet? All right. That was July for this company. Today is August 1. Their market cap today is around $430-odd million, drop of about 65% since June 1, 60 days. And if I were to look at it, it's probably all happened in July. So we're 48 minutes in. We're supposed to be having a fun summer day. Um, what else, what would I have done differently? So what are the key points? What are the lessons that we learn out of this can trust scenario? So I've got a couple of points here. One is, again, we come back to understand your problem, admit you're in trouble. Over and over and over, they focus on quality. Quality is important. It's not the issue. It's the output of the regulatory regime, but it's not the issue. The issue here is, I'm not accusing anybody, I don't necessarily, I don't say I have the facts 100%, but the issue, at least the perception is deceit, fraud, false accounting, false statements in a prospectus, class action suits, liquidity, and shareholder value. Not once has this been mentioned in any of the releases or from the turnaround person. You need to... If you can't address it, if you can't talk about it, you can't fix it, you can't build credibility. Uh, number two, nobody cares about an investigation. You have to do it, right? You need the investigation. You need the facts. It's going to help you in court later. You need to build the processes so it never happens again. But that's not saving shareholder value. Nobody cares. Do it. Get a third party. Hire Chris Mathers. Someone, you know, we did a show with him. You can look it up on Martinis with Scott. Hire an outside investigator. Get a report done from somebody independent um, and act on it. But don't wait. That's not changing the direction of this company. That's a historical forensic review that will influence your policies for the positive going forward. Doesn't mean you should wait to make changes. Number three, get rid of everybody. Let's say there were 10 people. I just made that number up. I have no idea. But let's say there were 10 people that plausibly were involved in this, knew about it, should have known about it, even if they didn't, or were just generally loosely involved. Just get rid of them. 
bring in new people, right? And and tell stakeholders, you're not sure. You're doing this forensic review, this investigation with the third party. They're going to tell you where all these people were responsible or not, whether they, you know, someone's going to bring criminal charges, whether there's going to be lawsuits, civil charges, whatever. But for the company going forward, we clean house, we brought in credible people, and this is a new deal, right? What's so hard about that? It's the right thing to do for shareholders and stakeholders. Think about Health Canada for a minute. You know, we're gonna, I'm going to talk about them. Actually, I'm going to save this point. Let's come back to that. I'm going to come back to cleaning house. Uh, number four, get a turnaround team together. I'm not saying Markovich is not a great guy. I don't know him. Maybe he's, as I said, maybe he's the best turnaround guy ever, right? Maybe he's better than me. Maybe he's the way to go. He's not independent. He has the baggage. He can't possibly do what needs to be done. The company shouldn't have hired him. He shouldn't have taken the job. There's no way he can win over stakeholders. It's a loser. It's never going to happen. All right. That's what I would have done differently. And this is not, I'm not suggesting that I also would not have lost the $600 million in market value. These are things that just happen like, like as you see from this review in a number of days, right? The question is not that. The question is, are you going to stay at 400 odd million dollars in market value? Are you going to recover some of the 600 or are you going to go to zero? Because this company is on the path to zero, right? I would be on the path to recovering some of that, I would hope. And if you make these changes, and if you experience this in your own business, take these hard decisions, and you can recover some of your shareholder value. Here's a couple of other incidental points I want to raise that came up to me through the review. Health Canada. Remember I told you that uh, Mackie said like Health Canada has to make an example out of CanTrust and it's going to be harsh, and they're going to pull their licenses, and so on and so forth. And in some respects, that's true. We have an election coming up in Canada. Um, the liberals who brought in this, these, these rules are, they might lose. I mean, the conservatives are inept, so maybe the liberals do it. Hard to say. But regardless, they can't have um, the laws falling apart. And Health Canada, this is their first big regulatory case like that has some serious market value behind it. So they want to deal with it properly. But what nobody's talking about is that if Health Canada shuts these guys down, they're shutting down 450,000 square feet of cannabis growth that in the past was illegal, but today is legal. And if you shut that down, you're replacing that capacity with illegal cannabis today because it's the black market that's picking that up because we don't have enough supply. As a regulator, you're going to think about that. You're going to think about, I kind of need that greenhouse space. I kind of want that production. If I shut them down, which is what I should be doing, and that sends the message I want to send to the market, um, I lose that capacity. Now, I don't know where the regulator is going to come out on that, but those are some competing thoughts that no one's talking about. So guess what? If you had cleaned house, got rid of everybody involved and brought in a new team into the same greenhouse facility, doesn't that give this external stakeholder, Health Canada, doesn't it give them their cake and they can eat it too, right? They get to go after with whatever charges and regulatory issues that they want to go after the individuals who are no longer with my company, right? But they get to keep the greenhouse with a whole new slate of people. They get to keep that capacity 
and maybe there's a there's a penalty of whatever sort to the corporate body and to the production out of that greenhouse but there's a bridge you could create a bridge to rehabilitation because all of the apples bad apples and the potentially bad apples and the maybe bad apples they're all they're all over here they're out right there's an example of how cleaning slate really helps build credibility with a stakeholder. Um, second incidental point I wanted to bring up was valuation. Um, and so this is from a Citibank report on CAD Trust. And um, we're running along here, so I'm not going to read the whole thing. But the, the bottom line is they admit they were wrong on their call, but they're, they're valuing cannabis companies at five times I have every time I read this, which has been 18 times, I have to do it again just to make sure I got it right. Five times year forward net sales. So you look at your next 12 month sales projected, multiply times five, and that's the value of your company. And so they still think CanTrust has value based on that analysis. If anybody wants more detail on that, uh, look me up separately and I'll get it to you. But it's just, I'm stammering here or going slow because it just blows my mind. Five years next year, five times next year sale. So from a value perspective, what does this tell us? I, I don't understand why analysts are valuing companies uh, cannabis space on revenue anymore. We have all sorts of evidence of what the cost is to grow cannabis. Um, this should be on a net basis. Um, and... Uh, uh, valuing things on revenue just makes no sense at this point uh, because our costs are known. That's a huge multiple. Now, a lot of valuators will tell you, well, that's crazy. Huge multiples don't exist. Um, uh, that's wrong. Mathematically, this can work, but it could work because there's a massive implied maintainable growth factor. I'm not doing the math for you off the top of my head, but if you think that you have a, uh, Let's say you're going to grow at, uh, well, actually, they make reference to it. They think revenue is going to grow at 80, 83% year over year. So if you think your revenue is going to grow 83% every year, compounded forever, that's a pretty big multiple, right? That justifies some of these multiples. Do you think CanTrust is going to have that sort of growth next year with all of this going on? It's not. It's not, right? And that sort of leads to my last point on these valuations. Be, beware of equity analysts because... Because in valuation theory, you kind of have to make a choice up front about, is this company a going concern or not, right? Well, equity analysts, um, they have models and they have forecasts and all of it is premised on the fact that this company is a going concern. When you have a troubled company, it may not be a going concern. And if it's not, none of these models make any sense. They're just gibberish, right? Can trust um, is at risk of not being a going concern. They may not be in business the way that they're going. I'm not saying that's going to happen. They could still save it by, by following these rules of, you know, just admitting they're in trouble, changing uh, management, getting a, and board, getting a clean slate, and having a plan. But they haven't done it yet. And my last, uh, last of three incidentals I want to bring up, um, I've been looking at some of the chat lines and traders and, People that are long on this thing, it's mostly a bullish as opposed to a short side. These facts, you're in the fog of war. You don't know what really happened. Maybe Aceto had no idea what's going on. Maybe he's the greatest guy ever. We don't know, right? 
Um, and we don't know what Health Canada is going to do. Um, we don't know what the, the secondary market is for these things. We just don't know. By the way, on the secondary, I will note that literally as I was talking here, um, the OSC put a cease trade on the stock of CanTrust. Things just keep getting worse. That would be August 1. Um, anyways, here's how I evaluate these companies if we're investing or non-investing or shorting in the market or whatever. Look to management. Look to management. Look at exactly what I said. Are these guys addressing their issue and dealing with their issue? And the answer on CanTrust can trust is no. This is markets. This is business. Anything can happen. But if you want my bet, my bet is this is going to go bad, um, from bad to worse. And uh, and I feel pretty strongly about that. Don't take trading advice from me. All right. I think that's it. I got it done in 59 minutes. Um, hopefully this records properly. As I said, this is sort of my third take of this. What else do I want to tell you? You can reach me um, as usual. Check out the site. Um, SinclairRange.com, S-I-N-C-L-A-I-R-R-A-N-G-E.com. Um, reach out to me. Reach out to uh, Ashley. You've seen her from other episodes. You know how to reach her. Subscribe, please. Uh, YouTube channel is Martinis to Scott. Um, same name on uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And glad you listened. Good luck out there with your trading.